it's the same with the safari. You know, it's amazing to see these wild animals in their natural habitat. But then driving yourself adds these extra bits so you earn the way. By the end, you will arrive in Maun and most probably you will need a break and you will, you will like to treat yourself in a, in a luxurious hotel, probably, uh, because the ride is not easy. But then you made it, you earned the way. And I think this will be... This will be an experience you will never forget. You know, this is something unique. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 432. Despite its small size, because of its location right in the middle of Europe, Austria touches eight other countries. Think you can name all eight? Give it a shot and I'll let you know at the end of the show. Good luck. It's not easy. One of the reasons I started this podcast way back when was selfishly, I wanted to be able to interview people who were super curious about this world. And today's guest is no exception. He loves trying out new things and stretching himself out of his comfort zone. And it's this passion for lifelong learning and pushing yourself to continually learn more and get better that I absolutely love about the guests that have been on the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. And so if you're someone who says, hey, I like that too. I want to continue to be a lifelong learner. And you're looking to get a formal degree, a bachelor's or a master's degree. We've partnered up with Oregon State State eCampus, and they have over 70 different online programs that you can choose from, which means that you're able to earn a degree while still getting to be out in the world, traveling, seeing different things, having these amazing experiences, not having to be tied down to a location or tied to a desk. So if you're saying, hey, I've always wanted to go get that degree, or I've always wanted to get that second degree, you have to check it out. Oregon State eCampus are ranked number five in the nation by US News and World Report, and you can do that by going to ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash peanuts. Remember, if you use our special link, we get some love from the OSU peeps. It's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash peanuts. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who is a founder through and through. He's founded a co-working space in Bonsko, Bulgaria, a nomad sailing retreat, and he just started another project called Wild Nomad Safari, Uwe Aigoyo from wildnomadsafari.com. Uwe, did I get that right? Awesome. You did very well. Travis, I'm so happy to be on your show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, thank you for joining me. And it might be the hardest pronunciation I've had. You helped me out before this. I asked you to say it. I spelled it out phonetically. So I probably won't say your last name again. But Uwe, uh, I'll say, I can say the first name. I've got it going on. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. And the first thing I'm going to ask you, because I get asked this all the time, because I like you, I, I have ideas and I want to do them. And 
a lot of them I do and a lot of them I don't do, but why so many different projects? Like, why do you just feel called to do so many different things? Oh man, this is this is a hard question, but I just love to do things and I love to do things together with people. I love to, you know, actually I started traveling. I always uh, traveled since I'm young, since I have a passport. I always, I had this urge to go somewhere to find out, you know, not, not to run away from something, but to go somewhere. I was always drawn to far places, uh, across the Atlantic, do this, do that. Um, and yeah, so then I got to know my um, girlfriend at that time on a sailing trip. And so I got into sailing and sailing uh, was just, am it's amazing. I love sailing. I, I love being out at sea and, and so on and so forth. And yeah, so I love to do different things, you know, and I think adventures Mm, if you if you are on adventures, it's uh, where life happens, you know, out of the comfort zone. When you tear down the walls of comfort zone, it's like when you feel you're alive and when you do this, you know, like uh, it tickles and you go and you find out, you explore. This keeps me going. This keeps me alive, actually. Yeah, I think one of the neat things about entrepreneurship or just, you know, and starting different things is it gives you a similar feeling to when you're traveling, right? Because it's new. That's 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 the rush we're probably after is, yes, we like to see new places, eat new foods, but the, the key is that it's something that we are not doing in our regular life. And so these new projects that you're launching and, and trying out and starting, it's again, it's a new thing, even if it's even if it's not getting out and traveling, you starting a co-working space is a new thing. It's something you haven't done before. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, that seems to be the draw, right, of just try of a challenge. I think, you know, like we entrepreneurs, we have a problem, you know. Um, so the thing is, we have the shiny object syndrome, okay? So there's something pops up and you're like, oh, that looks nice. And I think... The problem with me is rather not to do things than doing things. So it's um, more challenging for me not to start something new. But also I think, you know, like I have time and um, I was working in uh, most of my time. I worked for uh, corporations. I had good jobs. I, I was well paid. I was like I had a great life, you know, like uh, a work life. And, and it was really cool. But on the other hand, you know, I was wondering, you know, what is out there, what I can do, what I haven't done yet, you know, and for whom do I do this? You know, you go and work, you have this eight to five and, you know, like it's a, it's the daily grind. And then, you know, at some point I, I asked myself, you know, why should I do that? And now I have the time to do different things. And I love to do that. I love to be the master of my time. I think this was always my biggest goal, you know, like to master my own time. Yeah, we have a little quote or a saying that that uh, Caitlin and Ricky, who are parts of our location indie community, brought up, and and we kind of have adopted it as well. And it's this idea that freedom is our currency. And so it's not saying that we we don't go after money and and we don't do businesses to make money and we don't want to be good business people, but it's prioritizing freedom. And one of those that that kind of people don't think about is time, right? It is like we talk we talk about oh I want to make enough money so I can have enough saved away so I can retire or I want to be location independent. We hear that a lot and I talk about that a lot, right? But the other the third part of that is the time. And that's something that I think people don't prioritize enough is saying, 
okay, well, what am I, if I'm working towards something and giving up my time, what am I getting back? And is that as valuable as having my time? Because a lot of times the answer would be no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, Travis, if, if you don't mind, I, I want to tell a little bit of my story. So the thing is, you know, like the background, um, I, I did lots of stuff also job-wise. You know, I couldn't keep longer with the company for two years. You know, I had to, I was always drawn by other stuff. Anyways, but one time I thought, you know, like I was so disappointed by, by one of my bosses so that I said, ah, I'm going to quit. That's for sure. But I, I didn't want to quit in the blue. I wanted to do something meaningful, bring something meaningful to my life. And then I thought I want to learn a language better and I want to, to work overseas. And this is before Monster or Job Search Online. You know, this was like, you know, 2006, actually, I can say to you. And, um, and then I was like applying, you know, like, you know, randomly, basically, to find a job overseas. I, I talked to my friends, to my travel friends and so on and so forth. And um, finally, I got the job as development aid worker in Zimbabwe, in, in the southern region of Africa. So this is how it started. And um, yeah, so I really got the job and I went to Zimbabwe. And um, I, I, so I guided a project and I helped them to, to do ICTs, you know, to bring computers into rural areas in uh, close to Lake Kariba. And this is where I found out, you know, like I really got grounded. You see this, you see the people in Africa and you see their problems and you see their lifestyle and you see what they do. And this, you know, somehow this really shook me in a way it awakened me, you know, like the people were happy. Their basic natural uh, being state of being was happiness, which was completely I, I couldn't understand that at that time. I thought they're pulling my leg. I, I, I thought they make fun out of me, you know, but their natural state is happiness. And when I saw this, you know, like it was so interesting and the people are so grounded. And this is when I started more intensely traveling and, you know, like and where I got more grounded and looked at the things um, rather on the lifestyle um, than, than on uh, how much can I accumulate and, uh, and so on and so forth. Because this doesn't bring you any further. By the end, you know, like when you look back on your life, it's not what counted on your bank account. What counts is, um, yeah, what you do with your time. Yeah, what you do with your time, your relationships you have with people, the impact you have, whether that be on a lot of people or a small group of people, but it be an intense impact, that's what really, really matters. When was the last time, then following up on your story, when was the last time that you worked for someone else? Like, when could you say you made the break to say, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to work in a corporate job, like I'm doing stuff for, for me now? Um, I think I think it was 2012, 2013, uh, somewhere around that time. And this is actually the time where I picked up more with sailing. So my ex-wife, she was a sailor, and I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to get to dig deeper. You know, like um, if something new comes up, so you're always scratching on the surface, but you don't go deep. You know, and sometimes uh, the shiny object loses the shine, and then you you hop on to the next one. But with sailing, I wanted to, to dig deeper. So I uh, dedicated one and a half years of my life to sailing. So I went from one sailboat to the other, to the next, to the next, you know. And I also did some certificates. Um, so to also understand the basics and understand the background and the theory of it. 
And so I was really open to, to hop on a boat. And I was also helpful and skillful. So I, have, I, I did not need to pay anymore. So they would take me either for free or, or e even pay me, you know, when I, when I got on a boat. And so I hopped on a boat. Ah, man, this is four, four and a half years ago or so. And that was called, that was a project by the name of Coboat. And Coboat was the idea to bring the work on the boat, you know, and bring people like entrepreneurs together, like a co-working space, like a floating co-working space. Right. I, I remember hearing about it. it. Does it still exist now, today? I'm not so sure the okay. project wasn't so successful. And I have heard some... Um, uh, some voices that it still exists, but I'm, I'm not in contact with it anymore. Okay. So I, I don't know. But it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a co-working space on a boat, essentially. Well, it was the start of the project. So there was no co-working space on the boat. But what we did is actually they bought the, the boat in the Maldives and then they transferred it um, through the Indian Ocean to, to Thailand, to Phuket, actually. And so they needed crew in order to do that. So they invited nomads and sailors alike to, to fill up the boat and to have crew to sail. Because if you sail a boat, it's unlike driving a car. So there's no handbrake, you pull at night and you stop. So a boat, if you, if you cross an ocean, it, it runs 24 hours. So there's no stopping or, or something. Uh, there's certain things you can do, but usually you just go. You know. Yeah, so you need people constantly. You need people who know what they're doing 24 hours a day. Exactly. There's two people always on watch. And then so it's like you have to, you know, like steering a boat is like you don't you should not crash into a tanker or something like this. You should be aware what you do and you should go the right direction. It's not so easy. There is no street or highway. You just need to figure out where the way is and you should go the right way. Right. The right course, as we say. Anyways, so the boat was really shitty and many things didn't work. You know, like actually it was a huge adventure. I mean, we all survived and, and finally we arrived in Thailand, but it was a huge adventure. We had water coming in. We had the engine failure. We ran out of fuel. Uh, we landed on a Nicobar Island, which is prohibited. So police came at night uh, pointing guns at us. Honestly, there is nothing we haven't had. It's like there was out of the 17 days at sea, I remember one day where nothing happened. You know, like one day, right? So um, it was a huge adventure. And that is the time when I first met digital nomads. So this is the first time when I, I hit, I, I, I got in contact with digital. And, you know, like, <laughs> I remember it vividly. I was looking it up, you know, like on Wikipedia, what is a digital nomad before I joined the trip, right? And I had no clue. And then I thought, you know, like, when I read, you know, like, the description of a digital nomad, I was like, uh, this guy is, nah, this is a species, it will die out. This is something, it's a hype, you know, it, it will go away. You know, I was sure this, this will not survive, you know. And then, you know, on the boat, meeting this awesome entrepreneurial spirit people, it blew my mind. Honestly, this was, I couldn't believe it. I knew immediately, I was, I felt so connected. I knew immediately this is my tribe. It, it felt like family, you know, like, I didn't know anybody, you know, besides the uh, the captain, but I, I had no clue about the, the crew. So uh, meeting those people and uh, spending 17 days at sea, which is actually a long time, you know, like a boat, even a big boat can be a very small island. So it's like, it's not easy, but we had such a ball. We had such a great time and we are still all friends. And somehow, you know, we are still in contact. And those people 
taught me actually i was listening you know to those people what they say what they live and what they do and they taught me a lot and it created an urge the urge in me to spend more time with this tribe more time with these people to to just be connected and learn how they do and how they put the focus on the lifestyle rather than uh the the money and 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 everything else, you know. It's so interesting to hear you say it because you had already wanted to be an entrepreneur. You already were an entrepreneur. You were starting stuff, but it's one of the. It, it's one thing to have those thoughts going through your head, and then another thing to put. And you were a traveler too, right? So you like ripe for being a digital nomad. You were a, someone who liked travel, and you were entrepreneurial. But it's really powerful to put a word with the type of thing that you want to do. And so, you know, I don't call myself a digital nomad because I have a home base. And, you know, I think that sometimes people misconstrue the word digital nomad because they think they have to only be nomadic. You know, we know it can take a lot of forms and fashions. I have a home base here in Philadelphia. We travel when you want. So we say location independent, but it's, it's, I just remember the first time I heard the idea or, or, or heard the term it was everything that I wanted to do. So before that, I didn't know what it was, right? I just was like, oh, I want to travel and I want to have, I want to work for myself. And I don't know what that is, but that's the lifestyle I want to do. But, you know, you have to say like three sentences to say that. And then all of a sudden someone's like, oh, do you know there's like digital nomads and, and what you just said is what they are? I'm like, oh my gosh, now it's made it, it made it real to me, this lifestyle, because I had a word or, or, or a term that actually meant what I wanted to do. And then, of course, when you have that, you can start finding people, as you did. And, and once you start finding people, you realize there's a thousand ways to go about this lifestyle, 10,000 ways to make this lifestyle work. Um, and I think that's what makes it powerful, Uwe, is just this idea of, uh, of seeing other people who are doing it and realizing that it's not always a pipe dream. It's something that regular people can do. It just might take time, effort, like anything, but it is feasible for them. Absolutely, Travis. I'm so I'm I'm really stoked that you say this actually, because um, that the term uh, digital nomad describes something that people understand what you're talking about. And as you said, I, I wouldn't dis I wouldn't call myself a digital nomad, but I'm a location independent. So I, I have. I have two bases. I have a base in Austria. I have uh, my, my home base now is Bansko, really, uh, in Bulgaria. Um, I really love Bansko. Bansko is a magical place. I cannot describe it. And also, I must say, you know, like, I'm not a city person, so I, I rather like the rural areas. I think, you know, like, it's, for me, there is a, um, a forest hike just in front of my doorstep, you know, in Bansko. So, you know, Sometimes you get stuck on the on the laptop and I just go out and have an hour of walk and I feel refreshed and this is something, yeah. So that's why I would call myself uh, location independent rather than digital nomad because it puts you in a corner, as you said. And yes, I agree. You know, like it's so easy to become location independent. It's, it's far easier than you think. People think, you know, like, no, in my job, that would never be possible. You know, I'm, I'm a real estate manager back in Austria. And nobody cares where I'm situated. Nobody is interested, you know, like, and I have an agent, the thing is running. So it's like, you know, you have to be on top of your, what you're doing. I agree. But, you know, where you actually sitting, who cares? You know, like, and if push comes to shove, I can take a flight there or can drive there even, you know, like, and things, I can manage things remotely. 
And when I say this, real estate manager, you know, like, and I do this remotely, people usually are like, what, really? You know, like, they're surprised that, and they have never thought about it. But if you, you know, like, and this is coming back to my story, you know, like getting to know digital nomads, they taught me to uh, dislocate location with, with my job. This is what they, they taught me. And I understood from what they do, I can put this, uh, the same uh, uh, algorithm, if you want, you know, on what I'm doing, but I need to do it in a different way. And I knew what to do in order to make it happen. And it might not be, it's, it may be a, a challenge a little, but uh, if you get your head around it, you, you can do many, many things location independent. I, I completely agree. And one of the things that I always ask people to do when they when they say they want to do something like this, you know, I say, all right, sit down and write down everything that you do in your job right now, every little role, like anything. I don't care. You know, and people are going to have some people have a huge long list because they do, you know, they, they it's it's rare now that people do one thing. They don't go into a factory and they're like, I push this button every day. You do a thousand things or a or hundred things and that's fine. So I always tell them, write down every little thing that you do, and now let's take a look at that, or you take a look at it, and you figure out which ones you couldn't do remotely, because there, there will be some, probably, and that comes back to your point of having to, to put your own spin on it and figure it out, so you say, okay, out of the 70 things that I do, you know, 10 of them I couldn't do remotely, this, 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 and this, so you say, all right, well, can you do it, you know, once every two months and so you come you know some people would have to come home every once every two months or can someone else do it so i actually one of the first digital nomads location independent people i met were actually real estate this is before i got into real estate they were property <laughs> managers in the uk and i remember yeah. thinking wait you're a property managers in the uk but you're living in spain like what are you just going back and forth all the time and they're like no, we just hired someone who's on the ground. So like, it, you know, they'll go into a property, they'll FaceTime, Absolutely. they'll say, here's what it looks like, or here's this issue, whatever. And, you know, Rob was like, if I have to go back, I can. But, I, you know, I found that it's so rare that I have to go back. And in fact, he's like, I found that I do a much better job when I'm not there because then you are only dealing with the things that you that are absolutely necessary right and and i found that with with me like when i travel and our properties sit here in philadelphia i am way less worried about them because i know exactly. someone else has to take care of it right exactly when i'm here this i can say I'm like i can go down and and you know, uh, shop back out like the sump pump that broke and, and I find myself doing it. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I should hire someone when I'm not there. I do hire someone. So it, it actually is a benefit. I feel that, that's a great point. I, I really love that you say this, you know, like, and I'm, I'm grateful that somebody has the same opinion that I have, because, you know, like when I'm there, when I'm back in Austria, I come home, I, I call it my other home, right? I mean, I grew up there anyways. So, you know, like when I come home, I see work. I see work, 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 you know, like, and as soon as I'm back in Bansker, you know, like the work stays there. It, it, it doesn't come with me. And this is one of the great things, you know. And yeah, yeah, it's really cool that you see it the same way. And also I think, you know, like, um, and um, maybe to spin this a little bit further, my story b beforehand, you know, like meeting digital nomads or location independent people, um, you know, like 
if you are surrounded by people who think like that, it pushes you also to that. You know, it, it pushes you further. So your barriers, your your limitations, you you push your barriers further and, and you grow bigger. And if you surround yourself, and this is somehow, don't ask me how, somehow I understood this when I met these people the first time. So then I started, you know, like, so, hey, guys, where are you living? What are you doing next? So I started to ask this question, right? And then they said, yeah, well, we go there, we go here, and, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, these guys are traveling. So how do I do this? I, I start traveling too. So I went to Bali. I went to Chiang Mai. I went to, you know, all these places, right? Sure, all the hot spots. Exactly. And then I'm like, whew, I mean, no ways I'm doing this. This makes me, that's too much traveling for me. You know, like living out of the backpack, so to say, you know, like, and this is too much. So I, I thought, you know, like how, man, how can I do this to meet these people, to be amongst these people, but without the travel factor, you know? And so somehow I got this, I got this idea and also Matthias, he was also on this boat. Um, so let's do co-living or something. Let's do something where people live together, you know, and then we can have a small space where we can also work together or something. So we started to intensify this idea a little bit and bring it a little bit, you know, like um, make this picture a little bit clearer. And then we started to look for places and we, we found really some really cool places in Austria, actually, uh, to start the co-living space. But somehow the momentum, there was no momentum. You know, there was a great location or there was a great whatever building. And, uh, but somehow we couldn't get it further. You know, the, it's either the landlord or debt or I don't know. So there was always some obstacles and it didn't happen until a friend of us called us and he said, you know, like, uh, Jürgen, he said, hey, guys, why don't you come to Bulgaria, you know? And, and, you know, honestly, for Matthias and me, Bulgaria was a white map on the, on, on the globe. You know, we, is is we Matthias no also Austrian? No, he was living in Austria. Okay. That's right. But he's German, but he was living in Austria. So, That's so right. both of you hadn't like thought of Bulgaria. It was not, uh, it was not ever, even on. Ever. Okay. All yeah, right. It was not. We had no clue. We hadn't been in Bulgaria before. But then we started to dig in. So we, we looked it up, you know, like, what can you do there? What, 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 what does Bulgaria offer? So we found out the climate is awesome. We found out they had the sea, the Red Sea. They had, the, they had this, um, they are connected to Greece. It's very close to, to the shore. And, and they have skiing. Uh, they have mountains and, and all these things. And so we started to look at it. And then we... We realize uh, there's so many co-working spaces at at shores, at nice beaches, but there's not so many mountains actually. And we thought that could be a great idea. So we put the delegation together, and together with uh, six people, uh, we went to Bansko just to give it a shot, just to to check it out. You know, how does it feel? You know, Pyrin Mountains. You know, it read. So on the on the web, you know, it reads really cool. But you know, like if you go there, how does it feel, right? Yes, you need that, and and I've always felt that with real estate. Some some people I know in real estate don't care. Like they only see the numbers, and they just all right. This is an opportunity. Let me do it. But for me, and it sounds like you, I always want to. If I'm if I'm investing somewhere, I I like being there. I want to know what it 
feels like. I want to know what my gut tells me when I land or when I when I get off the train or out of the car there. And so like you, I don't want to just say, oh, the numbers work and it sounds good. Let's do it. I want to experience it. And and sounds like you're saying you wanted to experience Bonsco and say, is this the place? Because you're putting a lot of your heart and soul into it too, right? Like for you're saying, we're going to open up a co-working space and this is going to be a lot of work and it's going to be fun. It's going to be what we want to do, but it's not it's not just a business. I, I, it's a labor of love. And so you needed to make sure that it was the right spot for you. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, that's so true. I mean, no matter what you do, you know, like you will spend a lot of time and sometimes you will love it and sometimes you don't. And then you rather make sure you're, you found out your gut feeling, you know, like going there, experience it. I think this is very, very important. And also, you know, like when we came to Bulgaria, I mean, we wanted to do a co-living space in the beginning. We had no co-working was not something on our map, to be honest. And um, although they are can be very similar or very close, anyhow, you know, like so when we went there, things just fell in place. It was it was an open field, and just things came. They just happened like it clicked, you know, like right from the beginning. And we were like, wow, we were we were overwhelmed. We were kind of shocked, you know, how easy things fell actually in place. We were just in our flow. You know, it went, I, I can't describe it. It was so obvious that it, it, they, they need a co-working space there. We found out it's not a co-living, it's a co-working what they need. And so we put the things together. We have some brainstorming and we kind of, um, there is like a what a venture. It's like a business canvas. So we filled out the business canvas uh, during the time I think we spent uh, three weeks there or so the first time we went there. And so we filled out the business canvas and then we found somebody who who actually wanted to to work for the co-working space, you know. She she wanted to be um, our community manager and Irina at that time. And we were like, wow, you know, like, and things went so fast and we just said, yes, let's do it. Let, let's go with it, you know. And the idea was to build a co-working space so that the nomads can come to visit us and we don't have to travel and still be amongst these amazing people, you know? That was the, that was, this idea grew in us, you know? How long did it take from like that first trip to Bonsko, the first time you had, you had been there, how long did it take to actually get the co-working space up and running? And did you build it? Like, was it a brand new building or was it a building that already existed that you just rehabbed? Yeah, good question. Um, so we went there in, I think it was August, July or August. I, I just can't quite remember. And we opened the same year in December, mid-December we opened. Wow. Okay. So this is how it happened. So three, really, three, four months. Yeah. Things fell in place, you know, but, but not only we had some obstacles to, I mean, honestly speaking with you, we thought a co-working space, come on, Wi-Fi, a desk and a chair. How complicated can this be? Right. Okay. Three years later, I know it's it's more than that. It's not that easy, anyhow. But if you if your listeners are up to um, and think about opening a covering space, do it. You know, I, I would really if you think about it, do it. It's amazing. The learning, the takeaways, uh, it's amazing. You know, like uh, what we learned over time is is really and the people we met it is so awesome. You know, like really really cool. A amazing experience. I must say, Matthias and I, um, we said we do this together. 
we wanted actually for for our friends, you know, to take part. We wanted that everybody takes a share, you know, like and contributes a little bit, and then we have a co-working space together to live and work together in a, in this mountain town. So this was our idea. But you know, they threw every month some money at us, you know, in in the form of uh, member fees. But they didn't want really to be part of it, which was kind of. Um, for us, this was a little bit disappointing. We thought they, they would be eager also to, to build this. And so uh, we put our own money in. So we had no investors whatsoever. And we didn't ask a bank. We just put, you know, like some money. In. How much do we need, you know, approximately to, to start out? We need to buy some chairs and stuff, you know. And then we thought, yeah. It's not so much. And in Bulgaria, the life is more affordable. We thought, you know, like, yeah, let's do it on our own. I must say we underestimated a little bit. So we had to put um, some more in. But we could do it ourselves still, which is really amazing. And so, you know, it is really our baby. So we really started from scratch. We weren't able to buy a building or build a building. The time was uh, the time frame was too small. Also, we didn't want to, to deal with that hassle as well, you know, buying land and building. And we had no clue about uh, the Bulgarian system, you know, what do you need to do this and so on and so forth. So for us, it was easier just to rent a place and to paint the walls and do the thing and, and make it happen, you know. And our space, I must say, the co-working space, Bansko, is, is not, it's, it's not, you will never find it on a shiny, glossy magazine. It's not one you go in and take photos. But, and this also reflects our main focus. Our main focus is and always was the community. It's the people. It's the, you know, this vibe. It's when people come together. And I tell you something, you know, like, um, I, I assume you have visited co-working spaces yourself a lot. So some places are like coffees or so. You don't even talk to your neighbor or something. In our space, people are talking. We have also quiet areas. But some are social, so we talk, you know. And I have witnessed so many co-working moments, you know, when somebody leans back and tells his business story and the problems he had, and the other person vis-a-vis -vis on the other side of the table starts, wow, you just explained uh, what I need to do in my business to make it work. And I've witnessed so many of these moments, and I think this is the thing we are after. This is the thing that happened, you know, when community really happens. Yeah, and I have to give you credit because obviously you have built a pretty strong community because you're talking about co-working space in a small mountain town in Bulgaria, right? I, I don't know how many tens of thousands of co-working spaces there are in the world. And yet, I have heard about co-working Bonsco even before you came on this podcast, be, when you like, you know, sent an email in and said, hey, here's what I do, like to come on the podcast. I had heard about co-working Bonsco from two different people. So I think that just speaks to the strength of the community that you've built is people want to tell it. They want to share about it, right? I, I, I'm not in the co-working world. I'm not asking people what's your favorite co-working space or anything like that. But two people have brought it up to me. And so when I mm. saw you like, oh, co-founder <laughs> co of uh, co-working Bonsco, I thought, what? Like, this is crazy <laughs> that I've heard about this from two people and you're in a tiny mountain town in Bulgaria, Absolutely. a country I've mm. never even been to. So um, I think that that yeah. just shows that you are building something bigger than the building, bigger than the chairs and the desk. You're building a community of people who want to take this idea 
and and run with it. How have you seen it shake out for you? Because obviously you're in a you're in a uh, a mountain town that's a ski town, right? Prim- primarily ski and snowboard town, and so it's you would think okay during the winter a lot of people there, but you know it's a small town. Have you seen the co-working space be mostly locals who are coming there, or is it people who have come to Bonsco and then, and maybe they're digital nomads and then have decided to stay in Bonsco because they like it, or is it people traveling through? What is the mix of people who are coming to your space? Your your question makes me smile. It's really cool. You know, like if you walk through Bansko, you see these old ladies, the omas, you see you see the grannies sitting outside, you know, like dwelling on an apple or something like this. This is how Bansko looks like in summer, right? So the you know, like local people, there is not many young people in Bansko. It's like Bansko has nothing to offer. It's not a town where you can find jobs or something like this, right? So in Bansko, as you said, it's a ski town. So primarily people are looking at skiing and, and winter and holiday. And, you know, like it, it's not where people go to live usually, right? So... And it took us actually two years to learn that we are a summer location and not a winter location. The co-working space is more frequented in summer than it is in winter, which was surprising to us. We thought, you know, like we will attract all these people who who haven't been skiing for a while and now they find a co-working space, yeah, in the mountains and now they can ski. And it happens, you know, we have around uh, 50, 60, maybe up to 70 people in the winter. But we just last summer, we had 120 people. So double as much. So the thing is, you know, like it, as I said, you know, like the Bansko as, as a location, it's Mediterranean climate. So in summer, it's like where you, you go for a hike, you go in the mountain and you have this, yeah, this amazing scenery in front of your eyes. It's just amazing, you know, and the temperature is like you can, you can go with your t-shirt and whatnot, you know, whereas in winter, the nomads or location independent people, they don't, you know, they usually travel small, so they don't have winter jackets and stuff. So, and that's why uh, we are more frequented in the summer. So are people However, coming, are people then coming in the summer and then they're, they're like, are they renting a place in Bonsco for a month or two and then getting work done there? Or are they just traveling through for, you know, a couple days or a week? I mean, this is a crazy story, right? So, because... People come from all over the world. So we have Australians, New Zealand, Europeans, Americans, from South America. We have people from everywhere, right? But locals. Locals are, we have maybe three or four locals. It's it's really, and mostly in winter because the locals know it's a great place to ski. So they rather come in winter for for working at the covering space. And um, yeah, the the thing is, you know, people, (laughs) it's kind of crazy because people come, usually they book for a week. And then they extend, you know, so we have those people. Okay. So they come for a week and then they extend. So uh, Matt and Lisa, a couple from America, they came to us for one week and three months later, they said, yeah, we are thinking about, you know, like <laughs> maybe we go. And so, so they stayed three months and, and this is not, this is not unique. This happens quite frequently. And then there's the other people, they, they really get it before they come. So they know it's a, it's a cool place. They have heard a lot about it. So they stay for the season. So they come for three months and and everything in between. But Bansko, you know, like 
you remember the crash in 2008-2009 so unfortunately uh lots of uh, lots of housing there haven't been sold or you know like companies didn't survive and so on and so forth so they still struggle they have um, it's too many buildings they have um, they have too many estate there so so now the prices really went into the seller so if you go there you can buy a studio for 14000 euros this is about 15 16000 us so you can buy a place there for under 20k you know which is insane so people now you know it turns out that we have i think th- around 35 people who bought the place there you know they they, they built their base there they they like okay guys we get it it's good we, we we buy you know like and we have one record holder an italian guy uh his name is marco he bought within the first week uh, he, he's the fastest i think he, it took him three or four days and he bought the place so he just shows up in bonsco likes the co-working space is like wow i can get a studio apartment for whatever fifteen thousand dollars i'm doing it this is what he did. yeah this is what he did. boom yeah so, well i guess it, i mean it makes I, all right. If now now we're uh, we don't have to get into the real estate too much, right? But if we think about this, this is a you know a a winter holiday destination. So let's say you say you can get a place for fifteen thousand dollars. You could probably rent that out for a decent amount, relatively decent amount of money for people who are coming through in the winter who want to ski. And so I, there might be some good there might be some good uh, ratios there. Now or is it just so cheap? To, to rent? Uh, that's a difficult one, to be honest, because, you know, like, if you want to do it the official way, um, so you pay taxes and stuff, and it's it's a bit more, how can I say, it's a hassle. And also, you know, like, there's lots of places. It's, you know, like, there's more places than people come, you know, so, so you compete with all the others. And I think from that perspective, if you want to run it as a business, it's a difficult one, in my opinion. However, if you think this could be a base for you, and if you come, you know, a couple of months uh, per year, then it's an awesome opportunity. Then it's a great place to be. Also, you know, like, I mean, we're talking about the co-working space and so on and so forth, but Bulgaria. Bulgaria is an amazing country when it comes to building your business because it has a, um, the taxation is, is capped with 10%. So if you run a business there, uh, it's... Many people in Europe consider now Bulgaria because it makes absolutely sense. You know, like if you if you compare with Germany or Estonia or other countries, it's like it's far cheaper to firstly to incorporate a business and then to run a business. And it's on tax. You know, like you save so much tax. It's um, yeah, it's really it's really a cool place to to build your business there. Yeah. Well, well, I am I am sold on Bulgaria as as listener as people who have listened to the show know. If you've listened to all the shows, I've got a good buddy Mitko, uh, Uve, and I were talking about this beforehand because he's one of the ones who told me about co-working Bonsko, and and he's Bulgarian. He's been trying to get me to go to Bulgaria for a couple of years, and uh, the plan is to go to Bulgaria this year. Um, so, and I'm with you. Like I, when I thought of Bulgaria. You know, before I did any research or talked to Mick or I just I mean, I, I didn't know what to think like you. I was just like, whoa, I don't know. It seems like behind the Iron Curtain. I don't know. Drab, dreary, ex-Soviet buildings like I had no idea 
it, it, it touched the coast. I had no idea it touched Greece. You know, I didn't have any idea it was a Mediterranean climate. I assumed, like, Bulgaria to me, just the name, it's like cold, gray, and dreary. And yet, from everything I've been told, <laughs> it's like, no, this is the opposite. So I, it, it's pretty cool when you're when your perspective of something, when you don't know anything changes and then you go somewhere, you're like, wow, this is nothing like I imagined. Mm -hmm. No, Travis, this is so true. And uh, many of my American friends, you know, like I had this talk a couple of times. So, you know, we as human beings, sometimes we are, we are a bit simple, you know? So we got taught history and we hear all these stories and then, you know, um, yeah, we never find out or do we? And when we find out, you know, we might, if we give it a chance, we might be surprised, right? And Michael and Brenton, um, a couple of uh, U.S. Uh, um, authors, they are writers, um, they came and visited us in Bansko and they said, you know, like, hey, Uwe, you know, like, as you said, Iron Curtain, gray country, nobody knows what happens, you know. They said, hey, Uwe, I feel so stupid now, you know, like thinking about my thought, which I had prior to my arrival. Because now I, I, I find all these lovely, I see all these lovely people, I meet all these lovely people, and I see their stories, and I see, you know, how they hassle, I see how they live, and, and so on and so forth. And, and I think, you know, like, also, I must say, you know, like, Eastern Europe, for me, I really didn't pay so much attention, and it, I was never drawn to, you know? I was drawn to many places on this planet, but never... Eastern Europe was just, I don't know, it wasn't on my map. But now going to Albania, you know, Albania for me was a little bit like, how can I say? I was a bit afraid. I was mm. a bit anxious. Yeah, from know? what you hear. I mean, Albania seems pretty corrupt, pretty dangerous for like petty crime and, and maybe even bigger crime. Yeah. It's amazing. Albania is amazing. I was there. I, I couldn't believe it. And somehow I was there. I, I did a motorbike tour. Actually, I went from Austria to Bansko. I wanted to, to drive my, my motorbike to my new home. And so I crossed Albania. And somehow I got lost in Albania. Don't ask me how that happened. <laughs> so and then I, I stay at the junction, you know, the, the light was red and and then I'm like, I'm asking this uh, car driver, you know, like he has the window down and I'm like, and I'm like, hey, how can I get there? You know, I need to go there. And he's like, ah, no worries, follow me. And he brought me, you know, like he drove, you know, in front of me and I, I just followed him and he, he's like, you know, and at some point he, he stopped and he said, you need to go there. And, and, you know, people are amazingly friendly. The food there is amazing. I mean, Tirana, the city, you know, is so Eastern Europe, you know, like, Honestly, you have to give it a chance. You go there, you travel, you will love it. And people are amazing. And, you know, crimes happen everywhere in the world. So it's like if you focus on that, you know, don't go to New York either, right? Right, right. No, I, I, I am with you. I am a huge proponent of Eastern Europe. I've seen only portions of it um, and, and certainly not many of the really off the beaten path places. I haven't been to Albania or Macedonia or Northern Macedonia now, uh, Kosovo, like anything that's, that's really off the beaten path. Um, but it is a place that every time I've spent time in there, um, and, and, you know, we've had this debate on the podcast, what is Eastern Europe? You know, there's no clear delineation <laughs> anyway, right? That's right, um, the Balkans, Balkans. Because yeah, you're yeah, sitting there. New word, the Balkans, a new term, you know, like yeah. the Balkans. 
because you're sitting there uh, having grown up in in Austria saying like I didn't care about Eastern Europe but you're basically on the doorstep of Eastern Europe right um so it is it's it's this fascinating region that I think uh, we all have a perception of especially you know having grown up during the time period that we did because it was closed off as just like oh my gosh everything must be the same it must be drab dreary you know old soviet stuff and yet it's vibrant and and it's great that it's absolutely. coming alive so much because absolutely yeah the people on those countries that i've been to are incredible and i only want to keep going and diving deeper and deeper so hopefully bulgaria this year and uh who knows we'll, we'll, tr- we'll go all around um get to see it i wanted to to take us to a different part of the world now because the newest project that you have is this idea of wild nomad safaris. And what really caught my interest when when you'd send an email to us about coming on was this idea of being able to do safaris that were like for independent travelers. Because obviously everyone, you know, safaris are huge on everyone's bucket list, right? I want to I want to do safaris and I've done one. It was awesome. But they are very, very expensive and they're usually very packaged and that's not even to say that the packages aren't awesome and they aren't great and that you shouldn't do them but i it is a thing that i don't think people realize they could somehow do it a little differently as an independent traveler so tell us how you even got onto this idea and then what what you kind of do like how are the safaris that you run different than what someone would do if they just booked a, a regular i guess we'll call it a regular safari Absolutely. Uh, thank you for the question. Really cool. So I, I like adventures. Personally, you know, like sailing is one of the things I like and safaris is something else I really, really love doing. And I think safari is a game changer. You know, like I, safari is something, it's an adventure of your lifetime. You, you tell your grandchildren about it. You know, like it's, it's really, really cool seeing the game in their natural habitat, you know, like seeing a lion sitting on the track, you know, like five meters away from you. This is something really, really awesome, breathtaking, right? And I think um, we, you know, we sit often in front of our laptops and we forget, you know, we need to tear down the walls of our comfort zone and go out into the wild and do something, you know, like challenge ourselves from time to time. I think this is important, you know, like to feel life again and to, to get this tickling, you know? And so, yeah. I, I told you I worked in Zimbabwe as development aid worker for uh, for a while, and um, I I got the training off road training so how to uh, drive a car off road, and of course you know in our free time so we went because the best safari places the best national parks were just in front of our noses so to say, and so we went on safaris but also we went on safaris on ourselves. So we learned how to behave. We learned what to do. We learned about the different mammals. We learned how to approach a lion. We learned how to, how to behave when an elephant comes, you know, and, and deal with all this in different ways. And so when, when I drove the car through a national park and when I did safaris on my own, I felt I, I really come alive. I felt this is something, you know, it's really amazing. It, it's a really cool feeling. And as you said, you know, like there's all sorts of packages you can book. And um, I'm not judging, you know. Uh, you can have amazing experiences, even though. But most likely, you pay a lot and you end up with 14 other people in one big car, right? And, and this is it. And, and that's your experience. And I think... 
you can do it cheaper, you can do it for more affordable money, and you can have a more intense experience by driving the car yourself, you know, by going on the safari yourself. And I think I owe it to the world. I think I owe it to the world to do this and to make this happen and to give people the chance to be part of this because I think it's one of the things which are really amazing. You have to do it once in your lifetime, as you said, you know, like safaris is it's something amazing. And you, I think you, you should have the opportunity to, to experience that. Also, I think for us as, um, as entrepreneurs, we like to be amongst like-minded people. We like to, yeah, we have maybe different topics. And, you know, most nomads or location-independent people are, you know, people who think about meaningful lives and, and doing things, you know, like not only for their benefit, but also for other benefit, for benefiting others. And I think this is also something I enjoy the, um, uh, the community so much because I meet these like-minded people. And so I wanted to offer a safari tour for nomads or location-independent people, entrepreneurs, to, to join me and cross the Kalahari together. So, okay, so how does this work then? So you're saying people get to drive themselves like I, I yeah explain to me the logistics because I, when I went on a safari it was it was it was great it was part of a bigger thing where we went and, and helped build a school in Africa and all but it was like a high-end luxury safari and, and it was great. It was only like, you know, four or five of us in the Jeep. We had a few different Jeeps, but I, I did not get to drive. Like we were with guides mm-hmm. yes. and it was, yeah. you know, we could go out whenever we wanted. So it, it was mm-hmm. certainly, we had more flexibility and more autonomy than, than other safaris. But this sounds pretty crazy. Like what happens when we go on a safari with you? Like I, I'm able to get behind the wheel and drive and, and how it, it's allowed and legal and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So we drive where no roads are. So it's uh, it's it's the desert. It's the savanna. It's the Kalahari is actually not a desert. It's a it's a it's a very dry area. But per se, per definition, it's not a it's not a desert. And I, you know, <laughs> I had this dream. For me, I wanted to cross the Kalahari. It sounded for me so intense, so beautiful. I wanted to do this. And in 2010, I did it on my own. And a friend, crazy enough, he said, you know, Uwe, I join you. And so we went through the Kalahari ourselves. So what we did is like we rented a a 4x4 car, a single cab. uh, And the the pickup in the back has like all the necessities, like camping gear and whatnot. And on top of the car is a rooftop tent. Okay. I've seen those. They look cool. I have seen those. I, I yes. have. They look they look cool. But yeah, you just it's a tent on top of your vehicle. Yeah. Exactly. So your listeners might not know, but they are collapsible and you just um you just collapse them open, you know, like and it takes you maybe two or three minutes to, to open the tent, so to say. And it's very easy to do that. And so what we have is like the logistics is that we rent all these cars. And you come and you build a team. So there's two possibilities. You either drive, there's two people per car or, or up to four people per car. So if you are in a, in a team for two, so you either are driving or you're sitting next to the driver and you go through the uh, Kalahari together. And we drive in a convoy. We will have walkie-talkies to, to talk to each other. And there is, uh, there is no... 
Fortunately, there is no cell reception or whatsoever, so um, it's it's good it's it's good to to be offline for a while, you know, get some digital detox, and um, so and I will teach you how to drive off off road. This is a little bit challenging in the beginning, but when you know the tips and tricks, it's actually very easy to get into this, and then you can drive safely yourself. It's it's really easy, and since we do this in a convoy, we can always tow each other out. And and help each other, you know, to to get forward. Wow. Okay. So, how long are the trips usually? So, what we did is like uh, we have three packages, and each is um, like the first package is ten days, and the first package is going through the Kalahari. So, starting in Gaborone in in the capital city of uh, Botswana, and then driving north northeast through the Kalahari. And the first trip ends in Maun. So after 10 days, we will arrive in Maun. And the second package is 20 days. So it's the first 10 days plus another 10 uh, days. And this we will spend from, um, from Maun around the Okavango Delta. And we also take the cars there, camp there, and come back to Maun. And the 30-day package is the first 20 days plus another 10 days, then we will go to Namibia and start from Windhoek. We will rent cars there and take them also into uh, national parks, go to Swakopmon, Walfish Bay, and all these nice places and come back to Windhoek. So these are the three packages we offer. And and then how many people do you usually have on this trip? Like, does there have to be a set amount? Because you said like it could be two people in a car, four people in a car. If it's yes. four, do you do you sleep? Is the tent big enough for four people on top ah, of the car? Or how does that work? Great question. The double cap has two rooftop tents, so okay. it's like it still fits two people per tent, and uh, but you have two tents on the on the car. Yeah, and then how many how many people do you usually have on the trip total? Because you're in a convoy, so you're spending the whole trip. You're always together with the other people. You're just in your own car in your own tent, but you're with these other people. How many are usually on the trips? That's right. So this is our first uh, wild nomad safari we are organizing. So we aim to have uh, 15 people up to 20 max. So we don't want to have more than 10 cars because then the logistics are getting more difficult. But uh, we want to have at least 10 people up to 20. And I think this is a great number. So we have five to 10 cars. And this is something we can manage ourselves. Yeah, this is fascinating. And then, so do you have a price or, or, or can you give people, if you don't have an exact price, because it might deter, depend on, you know, obviously which packages people are going on and stuff like that. What would be like a range that people would be paying to go on a trip like this? Absolutely. We are under $2,000 for the 10 days package. And at the moment we have, um, we have the 15% off. So it's an early bird ticket. So up to, I think in two weeks, it's ending in about two weeks. So if you're up for it, uh, you, you have 15% off if you book now. And, but it's the first package is under $2,000. And then um, it depends also what you want. You can have also extras. Uh, but I think for a safari, this is really a bargain, you know, like, and also, you know, like for the experience, it's not only that it's affordable, but also you have a very unique experience. You drive yourself through the Kalahari. I mean, how cool is that, right? That That's what's getting me so excited is this idea. I mean, this because I've been on a safari, the idea of a safari is exciting because I know I know how amazing it was. Because when I went, I actually 
for me, it was never a bucket list item, or at least it wasn't at the top. I, I thought it would be cool. It was way neater than I imagined. Going on safari was an experience that I that I would tell everyone they should experience, just like how you mentioned. But what's really exciting to me is this idea that you can go and drive yourself, that you're camping out. I, you know, we would go back to the camp every night and that'd be fine. We'd eat dinner there. Then we'd go back out. But you're seeing the same, you know, you're covering a big amount of land, but you're you're inherently in the same area. Whereas yes. this, you're actually crossing yeah. a whole savanna and seeing a lot of different stuff, e- even just in the 10 days. So that's what's so exciting to me is this, you're actually doing it. You're you're, you're getting to get out and, and do it for real. So um, that's fascinating fascinating so absolutely yeah all right so if people want to know more about that they can go to wildnomadsafari.com right that's the best place for them to find all that information that's the best place absolutely yeah yeah Mm -hmm. this is cool all right so okay so you're going to do your first one and depending on when this podcast comes out either you've done it or you're going to do it or or something like that what do you envision being kind of the schedule for this are there time periods that work way better like you know is are certain months better to go and i I assume you're not going to do it full time because you've got a lot of other stuff going on what do you see being the amount of trips that you lead per year and when is the best time for people to go i mean it really depends because um it depends where you go basically so what you do usually is uh, you pick the place and then you see what's the best time to go right and so for, for this trip, you know, we wanted to do it in May. May is just suits the best for us and it suits good for the for the Kalahari and everything. So we most likely see a lot of game. We have a good drive. There is not too much rains and so on and so forth. So that's why we picked for this safari, for this trip, uh, which we have in, in mind. We want to do this in May. But also, you know, like, as you said, you know, like, I like to do other stuff as well. So sailing is on in September. So it also depends what I'm doing and and what happens. Um, so, for instance, sailing is good in the autumn, especially in the Mediterranean Sea. I like that a lot because you can swim and the temperatures are nice and so on. And so I plan to have at least two trips, two different trips per year and make them somehow worthwhile you know like go for a month or something so that people really can delve into you know i think that's very important if you just go for a week or so you know like you're not able you're only able to scratch the surface but if you do something if you earn i always say you know like in austria we have a saying you have to earn your way which means that maybe you have sweat and tears in order to reach a uh, goal, right? So if you climb a mountain, you know, being on the top of the mountain is amazing. It's breathtaking and everything. But part of this, why it is so breathtaking is because you climbed up this mountain. And I think, you know, like it's the same with the safari. You know, it's amazing to see these wild animals in their natural habitat. But then driving yourself adds this extra bit so you earn the way. By the end, you will arrive in Mount. And most probably you will need a break and you will you will like to treat yourself in a, in a luxurious hotel, probably, uh, because the ride is not easy. But then you made it, you earned the way. And I think this will be this will be an experience you will never forget. You know, this is something unique. And I think there's not many people out there uh, who offer this. So, 
Yeah, yeah. It's, pretty it's cool. fascinating. And I, I just looked it up here too. If you guys are interested in the sailing, because as you mentioned, you do that too. So you've got the safari thing happening. You're doing the sailing. That's nomadsailingretreat.com. And we'll link that up too. But that is a trip that you're taking in the fall. And I, it looks like you're doing it through Greece, correct? Or, or around the islands of yes. Greece? Yeah. Yeah, in the Cyclades, uh, in the Aegean Sea. Actually, the Cyclades, you know, like Greece is really fascinating, uh, especially for sailing. Not only it's affordable, but also um, most of the beaches on these islands, it's like it's rough. Um, they have um, like rough rocks mostly and pebble beaches. There is no sand beaches. This is not so common in Greece. And therefore, the water is as clear, you cannot believe it. It's like sometimes the boat is anchored in a bay and you think that you think the thing is floating in the air, you know, so clear the, the water is. And, and I think this is something, it makes it really worth, because I love anchoring, I love doing, um, I love sailing around islands. It's just amazing because the land landscape changes you know everything changes and then you have an amazing bay maybe for yourself maybe you're the only boat anchoring there and then you have the bay for yourself you swim in the morning you have a coffee and you know like yeah boat life so yeah greece cyclists okay and so that the nomad sailing retreat just so we're clear with that how many do you take one boat out do you take multiple boats out how does that work I, I usually take one boat out and uh, I did monohulls a lot. So it depends on the amount of people. So if a lot of people sign up, so I take a bigger boat. And um, But this time I want to do a catamaran. So it's a bit easier. People have more space. And also usually what I do is like also like the safari, uh, it's, it's more catered as a retreat. So like to get some detox. So off time, you know. Um, we will have stops in in um, in cities so that people can catch up work and, and and read some emails. But mostly the idea is to be offline, to get you away from the laptop, to get you out in the wild, to get you out in the nature. This is this is my idea because you know we sit in our offices, we sit in our buildings, we don't see sunlight as much. We need more sun, sunlight and we need to see, you know, like what's going out outside. We need to connect again with nature. And I think this is something people miss out on and, and I want to take the people out. I want to show them how cool nature can be. You know, being out at sea with a boat is really, really, really cool. It's like camp camping at, at sea, you know, and you make connections, you go swimming and you see the nature and you're happy, you know, you get some sunshine and, and this is really cool. Also safari, you know, like you see all these uh, amazing animals and then, but not only that, you see also the, the trees and, and the nature and you work out, you know, like, like um, I got so much information and knowledge from people and from safaris I did, you know, the ecosystem in a, in a desert is really, really cool. And if you understand that, that's really amazing. If you learn how the things work together and work out, it's really cool to see that, you know? Yeah, you've got a lot going on. I love that you have the the co-working space, which is all about like being connected, staying connected, like, you know, you're coming here to work, but I like how your mind works with batching. It's like, I'm at the co-working space. This is my place to work, to build businesses, to be entrepreneurial, and let's go a complete 180 and get away from all that and go sailing and go on safari and do these epic trips. So I'm with you. I think it, it both is needed, right? There's a time and a place for both. There's seasons of life 
for both, uh, you know, and I think that we need, I prefer to work that way. Like, all right, I'm in it. Uh, here we go. Let's go. We're building. And now let's, let's step away and realize that there's another part of life out there to, to go and explore and, and take a little bit of a detox. So I love that. All right. Last question I've got for you here then is what is your biggest travel mishap? So you've traveled a lot. You've been around. What, what is something that's happened to you where you were like, you know, maybe it was funny then, maybe it wasn't funny then, but it made for a good story. Yeah, I'm biting on my teeth, actually, you know, it, it, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, man. You know, um, yeah, I mean, if you travel a lot, I'm not so sure whether I traveled a lot. I traveled quite a bit, a fair bit. I think I've seen 80 countries so far. And um, and some of the seas I, I sailed already, too. So, but when it comes to that, you know, like, the first thing which pops in my mind is, um, so, anxiety, okay? Um, one of my biggest fears in life is that fears dictates my life. I don't want to live a life which is dictated by fear. So, I try to conquer the fear, right? And that's a difficult, <laughs> that's difficult at times, right? So um, I try to challenge. And the thing is, I always feared to go to India. India was always like something I felt, how can I say, not comfortable. You know, like going to Africa was a no-brainer for me. Go, going to Zimbabwe was like, okay, let's do this, you know? So I was like, okay, let's go. But going to India was quite the opposite. I, I was hesitating. I'm like, oh, India, I'm not sure. You know, like, I mean, you hear all these nice stories of amazing people, you know, but I, I wasn't sure. It wasn't my country. And so I went there and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I was surprised. I was very surprised. <laughs> you know, I'm not 19 anymore, so... Um, I can deal with um, I can deal with noise, but you know, like what I have experienced in India, that is constantly on. There is no privacy. It's like there is constantly information flowing into your brain. You know, in one way or the other, what you see, what you hear, what you smell. You know, like it challenges you on all different levels. And so, India was a real challenge for me. And then, you know, on top of this, I mean. I don't know why I booked a flight to Bombay. Probably it was an affordable one. But, you know, Bombay really blew my mind. It was like, it was too much for me. I couldn't handle it. Honestly, I, I, I just couldn't handle it. And so I, I went to the shore. I went for the south. So just to escape a little bit. And um, yeah, and then I got a, a, a belly bug, you know, like, so, and it really hit me. So I was three days down, you know. So this is, yeah, this is the experience I think India can be cool. You can have an amazing time there. But for me, that was, you know, like overwhelming in many ways. I, I have been there. Uh, I experienced similar stuff in India, especially in Mumbai and Bombay, like where we just, mm -hmm. it is overwhelming your senses. And that was the first, that was our first experience. Yeah. We flew into Mumbai. My buddy picked us up. He had lived there for two days, so he knew nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was just complete <laughs> culture shock, complete, like, what are we doing? This is crazy. <laughs> what do we do? How do we get around? It, it was insane. So I'm with you that it is definitely a country that pushed our limits. Um, and I would go back. I would go back and do things differently. But it's I'm also not... 
I'm not running to go back because you know it'll be difficult. Like if I go back, I want it to be for a purpose. A friend's getting married and I get to have this really authentic cultural experience. I'm not going to fly back into Mumbai just to hang out in Mumbai because it's not, it's it's a little too much. So um, I'm with you. I've been there too, Uwe. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that. All right. We know what you have coming up in the pipeline because you talked about the safaris. You talked about the sailing trip. You had the co-working space in Bonsco. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today and for helping to spread that that spirit of entrepreneurship far and wide through everything that you're doing. Absolutely. What is the best way that people can get a hold of you and see what you're up to? Like, Where should they go to check out the stuff that you're doing? I mean, actually, they can go to uh, wildnomadsafari.com or nomadsailingretreat.com. Also, I have a business. It's called My Start Bulgaria. Bulgaria.com. So this is more entrepreneurial. If you want to start a business, you can find me there. And otherwise, just shoot me an email, uwealk at gmail.com, U-W-E-A-L-L-G at gmail.com. You can just shoot me a message and yeah, just hit me. Uh, it would be cool, you know, like. Awesome. Yes. And we'll link Thank everything you, up in the show notes, of course. So we're going to link up the safaris. We're going to link up the sailing retreats. We'll link up co-working Bonsco. You guys have... um in June, I believe, is it? You got, you have a, there's a thing Moment happening. Fest. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If, uh, if you're location independent or if you're not a nomad yet, but if you're interested in come in June, come to Bansko, find out, get to know location independent people, get to know nomads. It's worthwhile. You will enjoy it. You will have a great time and you will learn a lot too. You know, like Nomad Fest is one of the possibilities where there's lots of, there's plenty of speakers sharing their life, sharing their stories, and also the pitfalls of entrepreneurial lifestyle and nomad lifestyle, which is, you know, it's good to be connected. It's good to hear that too. So we know we're still learning and life goes on, right? For sure. For sure. So we will link all that up in the show notes. Um, and you can find that extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. Just pick the, uh, pick the right show here with Uve and uh, you'll be able to get all the show notes there. So thanks again, Uve. I really appreciate it. It was awesome, awesome, awesome getting to chat with you. You're doing a lot of fun stuff. Our paths will cross sooner rather than later. I hope to get out to Bulgaria this year. So we'll have to make that happen. And I just want to thank everyone for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris Austria touches eight other countries, and some of them may be fairly obvious if you've been to Europe, but others are going to be very difficult to get. So let's start with the most obvious and go towards the most difficult. Austria touches Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Slovakia, Hungary, and the eighth one that's really tough, Liechtenstein. 
if you were able to get all eight, then you're either a geography wizard or you live in Austria. Either way, congrats.